welcome to. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin on tonight's show. We've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens across the Division I college tennis world. Of course, why did I hold that intro note so long? Because we finally have postseason play to discuss. The 2023 NCAA tournament now officially. Officially underway, it was such a privilege for our Crack Rackets team to be able to broadcast so much of the Division One's opening weekend of action. We are thus so thrilled to be going back at it here this weekend. We'll have broadcast Friday, Saturday of the Super Regionals. You can find them on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, before we get to those Super Regionals, we got to recap. Everything that happened through the first few days of action, we did have a top seed knocked off. But more broadly, we just had plenty of fantastic tennis for us to discuss here on tonight's show. And joining me to do that, as he has all year long, is a man you all now know as a co-host of these episodes of The Deciding Point and a man we all know best as the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks Formula predictions never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames, postseason or not, to root for the Liberty Flames, the snitch, the professor, the lean, mean, vegan machine. It's our dear friend, Chris Helioris. Chris, hey, great shot. I feel like we needed that additional boost of adrenaline with the long note hold. How'd I do? Well, I mean, the, the, the best part about it is I think everybody watching hears the same thing I do which is absolutely nothing after the first <laughs> half a second, because mm-hmm. we, we hear the start and then whatever, the, you know, whatever Zoom or whoever does it to us, I don't know. I, you, you just go out, which is which is pleasurable. I don't know. My dogs would probably howl otherwise. <laughs> well, good. That's the only moment I'm silent throughout the course of the show. So it's a moment yeah. of peace for everyone after uh, knowing the ensuing hour that's going to come. But of course, again, what Chris and I plan on doing on tonight's show, much as John Parsons I did last night with the Division One women, is breaking down all 16 regions. We're going to talk about all of them. Now, again, only one upset on the men's side. We'll start there, break that one down, as there was plenty of drama in Columbia. But more broadly, again, we're going to race through those recaps, try to get you to our preview section because up and down the board, all eight matches, you can make a case for all 16 teams to advance to the final site. We knew it was going to be an exciting Super Regional when we forecasted it at the start of the season. We now have those matches, so you're damn sure we're going to spend some time talking about them here on tonight's show, of course. The reason we're able to talk about all of it day in, day out here on these Deciding Point episodes is because of the support we get from all of you college tennis fans, players, coaches in the college tennis community. And let me just say, for all of you college tennis fans looking for more information, you're trying to gear up for this weekend's action, I implore all of you, check out our Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm doing my best to put together what we like to call our Cracked Rackets press row. I'm trying to speak to one representative from all 32 teams. I believe we have our first 20 interviews already out and available on that Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You can find them all in one link on our website, crackedrackets.com. But shout out to every coach. 
They've all been so kind, player, representative, whatever it may be in giving us their time. I'm trying to ask them similar questions about the roster, about the opening weekend, thoughts on the Sweet 16, thoughts on, you know, again, more broadly, some of the biggest storylines in 2023 college tennis as well. So be sure to check all of those out, all of them available on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. Of course, a shout out here on this podcast, this live show to our dear friends at Turner and LS for their continued support support of this show week in week out and look all of us are familiar with what Turner does they've been synonymous with success in the tennis industry for multiple generations of players now and all of us can identify a Turner grip when we see it but perhaps you didn't know about the latest iteration of Turner excuse me the Turner tough a more durable version of the Turner grip still gets tackier when you set still uh sweat excuse me still retains it's iconic trademark blue color as well. So, of course, again, uh, there's no other choice. Make that switch to Turner today. We're so grateful for their support. Least we can do, ask you to support them as well. You can find Turner wherever you shop for your tennis supplies. Be sure to test out that new Turner Tough Grip today. Of course, a massive shout out as well to the support we've gotten all year from our friends at LS. They offer an immense catalog of comfortable, affordable, and athletic clothing for all of you tennis players to employ. Of course, you're going to be fashionable out on the court as well. You all know the phrase, look good, feel good, play good. I promise you'll do exactly that by rocking LS clothes. Again, check out the entire catalog by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. A massive thank you to the support we have gotten from our friends at LS all season long. With all of that said, Chris Helioris, again, our plan here tonight, run our fans through every listeners, viewers, whatever it may be, through each and every one of the 16 regions we saw unfold over the course of the opening weekend. Preview the eight super regionals with that in mind. You ready to rock and roll? I am ready. All right. Well, there's only one place we can start, and that's with our biggest upset of the weekend. 15 of the 16 host sites. Credit to these teams, man. They advanced to the Super Regional. Uh, it's another testament to how difficult it is to play matches on the road. A testament to the advantage of home crowds. A testament to the energy provided in college tennis. That said, again, we had one upset. It's a team we circled in our preview of the opening weekend of play. It's a team that has been maybe the biggest asterisk or has the biggest asterisk located next to it entering the postseason because despite all the ups and downs of this year, we know if healthy, the talent this roster possesses, of course, I'm talking about Stanford, Columbia and Stanford earns a 4-0 victory in match number one, as do the Lions. You know, last year, Stanford went on the road to an Ivy League school, ended up beating Harvard to advance to the Sweet 16. They do it again, this time via a 4-2 victory over the Columbia Lions. Now, we can talk about the tennis results in a second. What makes the Stanford team so uh, makes them so tough to face when at full tilt. But Chris... There was also a lot of drama in this one. Talk me through what you've heard since. Talk me through your thoughts on this result. Yeah, I haven't heard if we've gotten the result yet. So, but yeah, the, the official result's still impending. The, the official result, yeah. The the match, the match result is I do not believe in question. But four yeah, two uh, Stanford for the record. Four two Stanford. Let let's let's start even before that with the fact that. Making some of the drama that I'm about to get into even more puzzling and harder to decipher in real time is the fact that 
we had no cameras. We had no really any any accurate live scoring. We are for the most part at Columbia relying on Twitter and we're relying on Twitter from people who are just getting information from that aren't even on site. And, you know, some of the schools were posting lineups. What I believe, and is if you go look at the results posted on the team's websites still shows Philip Kolosinski at six for Stanford. That is the crux of the, the drama, if you will. That was the lineup Stanford submitted. I do not believe Kolosinski played. They pulled him and, you know, which you was very normal. Pull your number six player, bring somebody else into play happens all the time. What many fans may not know is there's a time frame in which the coach has to submit that official change. And if you don't meet that time frame or if you don't do it at all, uh, then you're subject to penalty. And in this case, I, I believe the question was the official form was never submitted for the lineup change. Stanford played a different player at six than was on the official lineup roster. So when that spot came down to be the clinch for the match, it was under protest from Columbia. They had to play out the remaining match at two singles on the off chance that the win for Stanford at six wouldn't hold. In the end, Stanford prevails. Banerjee at two gets the win, puts any end to the debate of who's going to win the match. I kind of gave up on even thinking about it and then and then realized through some talks afterwards that uh, as although it may not matter a significant amount, there still has to be a ruling from the NCAA on the protest because the result of the singles match has to be recorded one way or the other. Uh, and so uh, at some point we'll get to see in the ITA re results, and I have not looked in, in the last day or day and a half, but at some point we'll get to see how that match was recorded and, and get a judgment on, you know, potentially whether the NCAA overturned or upheld, you say, the protest or, or denied it. But yeah, that was a lot of drama at the end of that match. And as soon as it happened, Twitter, you know, tennis Twitter was going crazy, wondering how do you protest a match and then keep playing what's going on? You had you mentioned the key detail, and I apologize. Clearly, my brain is just done speaking English for the day. I'm going for the Gladwell 10,000 hour theory in three days. That's just it. Can I squeeze in 10,000 hours of talking in 72 hours? We'll find out if it's possible. That was the craziest part is given the fact we didn't have cameras, given the fact that the live scoring was fine, but not the most up to date. It was the chaos of Stanford wins six singles, six, four, six, three match under protest, no result. And it was like, I'm sorry, what? Like, <laughs> yes, that's not a thing. They just played it like there was a result. What are you talking about? And I appreciate the detail you went into, because, again, I think you've provided as much clarity as will be available, barring a discussion with the coaches on what happened and we'll try to get that for you during our press row. But yeah, just requisite drama, lineup drama, everything that makes college tennis so special, right? You don't have to protest the submission of Alejandro Davidovich Fokina playing Jaume Munar. No one's like, no, 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 actually it's not supposed to be Munar. It's supposed to be Ramos Vinolas. It's like, no, that's, that's not how pros No work. protests in the Labor Cup, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Bjorn Borg, the only words he speaks during the entire Labor Cup weekend as he's sitting on that bench is, hey, Kyrgios has to play singles day two. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's like, that's not a thing. Um, and so it just... 
it was the intrigue. It was the mystery. I mean, it's a blemish. You, you can't have things happen like that in the round of 32. Like that just can't be happening in our sport at the same time. God, was it exciting from a tennis perspective. Stanford takes the doubles point. Ferry wins in straights. Basavaretti straight set win over Alex Kotzen, which I, I, neither guy has had the best year, both due to injuries, but three and one over Kotzen. You have my attention. Maybe most, you know, again, Banerjee with a three-set clinch over Westfall. It's a really good result for the Stanford team, who also got a win from Kolozinski for what it's worth. Um, I I mean, again, I I ask you this question, Chris Helios. Where are you with this Stanford tennis team and the options that have emerged one through six? Yeah, I I mean, it's... It's still hard to judge because... Clearly, if this was a fully healthy team, Basing's not playing four. So, I mean, I, I had and and maybe maybe he's getting fully healthy, and they have the luxury of putting him that low, and he becomes a lock. But he lost, so yeah. that's obviously not the case yet. Uh, so I don't really know what to to make of that. It's definitely a good sign that that Basso already is you know had a good weekend, but I mean come on, this is a guy that played so well in the fall. He shouldn't be number three either. So it's, it's really hard to tell. And you don't, I mean, look, we don't know if, if that is at this point in time, legitimately the order of, you know, of play for these guys, or if there's, you know, a quote unquote mini stack going on. I'm not sure. I think, I think they won as we sort of expected them to do, but it wasn't the most impressive manner they still lost at five they did get the quote unquote win uh at six that's listed as unfinished i like you know six three six four or six four six three unfinished Mm -hmm. um never i don't think i've ever seen that score line before Mm -hmm. uh but uh yeah i mean those are still the two worrisome spots in the grand scheme of things for stanford right we know who the top four are if they're all playing then the question is, okay, even if they do what they're supposed to do, what are they going to get at five and six? Eh, it was so-so. I think it's, and I don't, look, they're getting, they're coming into a team this week that's not exactly firing on all cylinders either. It's going to be another really intriguing match, but I'm not really sure where I am with the Stanford team. I want to, you know, I want to be like, wow, yeah, they're back. They're ready to go. They just don't look like they are but they were good enough and that's all that matters. That's exactly the right answer. You know, Rajesh 17 and 10, Chaudhry 9 and 9, Kulisinski 11 and 10. You were really hoping one of those guys would make their presence known, felt and clear in the lineup and they've all been fine, but it's still choices for coach Goldstein whatever he wants to do on any given day. Similarly to your point, yeah, like I don't know how healthy they are. Even after winning a match like this, they've shown they can win this match. They didn't 4-0 it. You know, I don't know. Health is the one thing that you're not guaranteed to have transfer match to match. Do it again. Like, they have the opportunity to beat a Kentucky team that we're going to talk about next year, as that's definitely your second most interesting result. I agree. Like, my biggest thing is it's just another one of those weird data points. This is why we have all those Stanford conversations throughout the course of the season, because they are capable of doing this Last point on Columbia. I think this is the biggest compliment I can give them. This year was a disappointment. And that's a testament 
to what Coach Howie Endelman and this Columbia group have built over the course of the past decade. And, you know, for this team to go 20 and four, for this team to have all the, you know, top 10 recruiting classes they've had over the past year. And, you know, again, to fall, uh, lose a very winnable match at home against Stanford, there's going to be a lot of disappointment around Columbia men's tennis. And again, that's the biggest compliment I can offer because Harvard just made their first Sweet 16 since 04. You know, Columbia may be a top six. Like, will they be hosting kickoff weekend? I don't know. If they do, the Ivy League hosting two kickoff weekends, that's massive for the conference. Ivy League tennis is on the rise. That Thus, there's nothing I can say other than this is a disappointment for Columbia. Anything to add? No, I mean, I think you uh, you hit it spot on. Yeah, and so again, credit to Ferry. Three and three over Michael Zhang is not easy. And if he goes on the run at the uh, NCAA individuals, it really should surprise no one. All right, after this next region, though, Chris, because we're going to move on now, we're going to go by order of one through 16. So for those maybe who want to skip around or find your team, that's what you'll be looking for. But we have to talk next about the upset that almost was a match you were watching and fully fine with being distracted while we were trying to broadcast other things. And, you know, that's why I love you. So we got to talk about Kentucky by the skin of their teeth, the defending NCAA finalists, 2023 SEC tournament champions. They survive. They knock off Northwestern 4-3, a match where Kentucky takes the doubles point, And yet it's the Northwestern Wildcats who took six first sets in singles. You heard me correctly, Chris. Six first sets in singles before Kentucky manages to scrap their way back. Three set victories for the Wildcats from, of course, Joshua Lapidot, who's in that MVP discussion once again this year. Get a massive victory from Draxel. And I want you to tell us about the home stretch of that third set because I know it was fascinating between he and Steve Foreman. And then, much like it was at the start of the season, transfer Taha body has come up big whenever this team's needed it body the three set win at four heartbreaker for a really experienced and i think now we know really good northwestern team kentucky survives chris your reaction yeah they shouldn't have i mean that's all I, that's all they could think is i mean they you know we this is what we talk about when we say good teams just find a way Boy, did they find a way. They had no business winning this match after dropping six first sets in singles. Two of them go to straight sets. And then Northwestern even, you know, puts themselves in a good spot uh, after that. Uh, They go up 3-1. And then, yeah, we can get into what happened after that. But, yeah, Kentucky had no business, uh, you know, winning this match. And that's just what, you know, that's what a good team does is, is they figure out, how to win a match when they have no business winning the match. And they did. Yeah. I mean, you know, Foreman for all volley on top of the net has game point chances. He misses that one. That's a heartbreaker uh, because again, Steve has been so reliable. Chris, you saw it. You're making a face. Yeah, that was, I mean, I, 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 I can still envision, I'm, I still see it in my head. Hell, I'm not even the Northwestern fan, but like, for them and the heartbreak, you know, it's, it's everything. It's the, it's the underdog against the top five school. It's the, you know, we haven't seen them in the sweet 16. The fact that they would have been playing, you know, they would have then been playing at Stanford. I mean, two non-hosts playing in the next round, all these things that 
that could have happened. But yeah, I was as we were broadcasting, I had I had to pull it up to watch. Foreman's at four all 40-15. I don't remember what happens on the 40-15 point. They go to 40-30 and Foreman comes in and he literally gets it was not exactly as easy, but almost as easy as the Jaden Weeks missed volley on the net that we saw in doubles action that we couldn't believe that Against ended up Georgia. losing at yeah. Georgia that ended up losing them that doubles point. It was very, very close to that on top of the net. I mean, just a ball foreman. Abs- he's going to make 99 out of a hundred times. And somehow he just puts it right into the tape and that sends it to deuce. Draxel ends up breaking him at deuce and serving it out. That made it 3-2. Lapidot at that point was well on his way to a 6-1 third set to make it 3-all. And at that point, it, it, it kind of looked done. But although at that point, Pickens had gotten his break back. He started down like 3-love or 3 was a break at 3-love or 3-1. I don't remember. He got it back and they were at 4-all. And then he suffers the same fate. He gets broken uh, and that's the end of the match and, and Kentucky survives. Uh, it was great, crazy finish for sure. Draxel 19 and six this year, because he's been ranked number one in the country. We don't consider that an outstanding season. That's an outstanding season for the senior Lapidot 22 and four ridiculous. Yeah. Body 18 and seven. I think he's won his last nine decisions as well. So that's a really good, again, you get one. Every team gets one. You get one match, you get to fuck around. And usually you find out if you do, sorry for swearing, this Kentucky team gets away with it. And like, again, they get to host the Super Region. That's huge. And they had that comfort of this week to, again, rebound, get set. But yeah, that's their one. They've used it up because you can't play like that again in the NCAA tournament and expect to advance again. Any other year, that Northwestern team's at the final site. Shout out to Presley Thieneman. Great win for him at five to wrap up his season, but alas, too good. Bratholm as well, but you know, alas, too good from the Wildcats. That's why they're the SEC tournament champions. That's why they're the the reigning NCAA finalists. They advance to the Sweet 16, where again, they will take on Stanford. All of that said, Chris, now we're in rapid fire mode. I'm going to take us seats one through 16 remaining. I just want your reaction to everything that happened because again, 15 of 16 host seats advancing to this. I can't wait. And I have an on-show live surprise for Gruskin. He has no idea what's coming. Well, this is an issue because, yeah, I now I'm I'm concerned. Ah. All right. Here we go then. We'll rock and roll. Let's start with the top seeds, TCU. They get, you know, again, a a match that was a little closer than that 4-0 scoreline would suggest. But TCU 4-0 over UT Arlington, 4-0 over an A&M team that did get a really impressive 4-1 win over SMU in round one. You know, Coach Rodini in my interview said two should never play 18 in a second round match. I do think there's some truth to that. But look, there's a reason the Horned Frogs are two. No fumba, no problem. What'd you see from the Horned Frogs? Except for they're the two seeds, not the one. I messed it up. It's the closest button. We'll get to one next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Something, something a Freudian slip or something. 10,000 uh, hours, Chris, you do 25 interviews and try to te- speaking English at 10. I'm just, I, I'm just so. Uh, before I give my take on TCU, can I, can I say how he, how I won't even say elated, but just how much pleasure it brought me 
to see Ramsey tweeting you for thanking you for having him on. I was just, I mean, I, I'm not going to get into details, but that was just so great. Uh, we're, all right. we're back, baby. That yeah. one was for Maddie Stacks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, look, TCU, this is, I. yeah, we expected. Look, A&M came in, came in hurt. Uh, Schachter played this weekend, but they dropped him to two. Still hurting from, you know, he didn't play the, the weekend before SEC. He didn't play SEC tournament. They felt like they needed to have him. They put him in, you know, injury still lingering. No Julio Perego, who who is is hurt. Uh, yes, they're super, super deep. But you I don't care how deep you are. You have a very stealthy top of the lineup to deal with at TCU. Uh, and what if you whether you can compete at, you know, four, five, six is not a question when you're going to just not, you know, and, and Noah Schachter competed at two. But just too much talent on the TCU side for them to deal with this weekend. I don't even think it was really, you know, enough of enough for us to go no Famba and still not enough of a test for us to tell what they've got. Yeah. Vivez, Jirasek, Maxted, who are you picking right now? Six singles match on the line. Vivez. All right. Interesting. That's where Chris Halioris is with the Horn Frogs, your national indoor champions, who are the two seeds, not the one seed. That's why when I saw AM not Pepperdine, I was like, wait, I think I did something wrong because University of Texas was your number one seeds. And again, it was a good start for the Longhorns, four over Corpus Christi, four over Pepperdine. And again, in a match that was closer than that 4 0 scoreline would indicate. But I mean, look, we know what we're getting from this Texas team at this point. And, you know, for the Longhorns to go out, get a win in a match that, you know, they didn't need Elliott Spazieri in singles. They take the doubles point. They get straight set wins from Braswell, from Waldeep, from Harper. When you're winning straight set matches at 3-4-5, Chris, that's the recipe to a national title. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the end, it wouldn't have mattered Spaziri was going to clinch if he had to. I mean, that's just what Spaziri does, right? But that 7-5 set for Harper to clinch, you know, if you're Pepperdine at when you're sitting at 5-all in that set and, and you're looking at it going, wow, if we split here, we've already split at 1. We're up a set and a break at 2, and we're up a set and 4-3 at the other match. Like, you're up in every other match or even – you're right in the match. So it's one of those four O's that could have, you know, could have, would have, should have, as I understand, but it's a, one of those four O's that certainly even for Texas probably didn't feel like four O. Uh, and they were super thankful that Cleve got that seven, five set to just end it, or they were going to be out there for a while because the, they were down sets on the other two. And if it was going to be Spaziri, uh, you know, they were just starting a third, hadn't even gotten going. So that was going to be a long match, but you know, like I said, could have, would have, should have. They got three, four, and five straight sets, and they're on. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I would also point out the fact that, look, what do the best teams do? They get off the court in those scenarios. They find a way to make it a 4-0 win, not let things get complicated. That is what Harper managed to do. You nailed it perfectly. I, I think this Pepperdine team was rock solid, uh, but again, they just didn't have the big guns to deal with Texas, uh, which Texas, of course, has throughout the course of the lineup. And Look, if you're Texas, you've lost three matches all season long, two of them to TCU, one to Ohio State. Those are your two and three seeds. Yeah, Longhorns are feeling good entering postseason play. And maybe more than anything else, they're feeling healthy entering postseason play. And, you know, for three years, we've known how dangerous this team can be when healthy. All right, that's one. That's two. 
we should spend the equivalent of time as the Buckeyes did on court this past weekend. Because if you've learned anything about this Ohio State team this year, when they beat you, they crush you. Chris, no disrespect to the Louisville Cardinals. Shout out Super Producer Daniel Westhoff. But this was a 100-minute match. 4-0 Buckeyes. I'll continue to say it. I've watched a lot of really good Ohio State teams over the years. And me saying this doesn't guarantee they're going to win a national championship. This is the best of the bunch. I totally agree. I mean, this is like they are better equipped right now to win a national championship, I think, than, you know, than a team that had, you know, that you and I sat there and watched beat my Mississippi State Bulldogs with Torp at one and JJ Wolf at two and McNally at three. I mean, yeah. This team is better equipped to do it. And yeah, I mean, they just, they, they blitz you out. What I, what I can't explain is how, how a team can be so dominant against even against good teams. Cause they beaten, you know, how they beat the snot out of Texas when they beat them. Right. Uh, how you can be so dominant against them. And then all of a sudden one day, boom, it's a dog fight and you lose. I mean, that's the, it's, it's, it's very hard to explain. You can't reason it. We'll just see what happens, but for sure they have to, I mean, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, you have good reason to say, yeah, we think we're favorites to win. You could be. Luchonic said a great on our show, 25 years of experience in their doubles lineup. That's hilarious. Like, do the math, folks. At least four years across the board. 25 divided by six. That's at least four years across the board. Um, (laughs) Anthrop's winning at six. Bernard's playing a lot better. Trotter's 25 and 0. Like, what's the pathway to four? Yeah, is is that going to be the way they lose? Like Trotter's going to lose his first match and it'll be the clincher if they lose, or uh, otherwise they win the title. I mean I mean, that's the thing. In any other year, you're like the unequivocal national championship favorite. This year you can say that about every team, and that's what makes this so fun. But again, Louisville's good. Like their top three is really good. And again, it didn't matter because everywhere else the Buckeyes just yeah, it's just another level at Ohio yeah. State. Yeah. It's it's really fun to watch. So again, that's a really good Ohio State team. They're on the level. And, you know, again, it's going to be fascinating to watch them compete down the postseason's home stretch. We already mentioned number four, Kentucky. So let's move on to another team that's done a lot of winning of late. Defending NCAA champions, Virginia. They make it 18 consecutive victories entering the Sweet 16. Four over Navy. Four over Ole Miss. The doubles point was tight. Not much else was. Yeah, I mean, look, they've waltzed through everything since indoors. And, you know, and and now I I would say with with no disrespect whatsoever uh, here towards Duke, they're getting a very favorable draw on a team that they know well and have, you know, and, and have handled. Uh, so. This is I, I see no stopping the Virginia train that's rolling straight into Orlando at this point. I agree with you. By the way, you remember how a couple of weeks ago, like the genius Scotty Bowman, I motivated you by telling you how efficient Jay was. Yeah, I just want you to know you've been very efficient tonight because it's got <laughs> it's got to go both ways. I, I just yeah. want you to know yeah, there yeah. you deserve positive affirmation as well. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's hard to disagree like. Kiefer, I think, is like 16 and five at this point of the season. Dahlberg is getting better. Look, if you're going to beat Virginia, doubles five and six. You got to go through there because that top four is that good. But 
five and six continue to play dub better. Yeah, I just don't. We just yeah. and we've said this through the through the length of the ACC season as well. They just didn't get huge tests there. Mm-hmm. They're still not going to uh, at, at Duke, and you know, so so now we're into you know whatever the. I mean, look. In all honesty, it's not even like the five the five four matchup would be assuming that they win. That's the Kentucky Stanford winner. Both of whom, what's the weakness on both those teams? Five six and doubles. I mean, like Virginia's not getting. We're not even going to get to see even if they make it that far. And that's a big if. But even if they make it that far, we don't see them get that test until the semifinals. That's so a, it's a fair argument to make. What I would counter with is a Kentucky beat them earlier in the season. B Kentucky, yeah. it's strength on strength. It's like, hey, we match up the same. Oh, yeah, totally agreed. I'm just saying that if they make it that far, and we're still questioning, like. What do they have there? I'm not sure we know because I don't think they're yeah. getting the test down there. It'll be they'll if they win, they're gonna win because of they won the strength on strength battle. And if they lose, they lost the strength on strength battle. Yeah. All right. I think that's very fair. Um, again, though, they're rounded into form. It's been uh, to win 18 consecutive matches two years in a row. It's a joke. Uh, like uh, the ACC <laughs> in a conference like the ACC. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it's this isn't. I was going to name a conference, but honestly, we know too many coaches now, and I'm afraid, so I'm not going to. Um, but it's the ACC, and they've done it now three years in a row. Absolutely ridiculous. You can Shut say up. the A-Sun. Liberty's leaving. And you said it, so that's <laughs> fine. You gave an example. I don't need to. Let's move on to the six-seeded Georgia Bulldogs. Do I think part of their result had to do with the fact that it took NC State like four hours to beat Oklahoma? in the first round and you just wonder how much was left in the legs of the Sooners on day two. Sure. You have to think that, but look, Georgia wins very comfortably over Oklahoma. The one point on the board for Oklahoma due to a stomach bug Trent bride had. Now that's the good news. It wasn't an injury. It was a stomach bug. He'll be full go over the course of this weekend. Bulldogs need him. But look, credit to Georgia, man. Doubles point without him. Straight set victories in three singles matches. It was a good day for the dogs yeah i mean we i keep waiting for the fact that you know someone's going to jump up and surprise you know surprise georgia and it's just not happening they just keep answering they keep answering the bell at at every turn so you know we'll see i i i like their chances obviously athens is a just a huge you know great place to play Big home advantage. Uh, if you're going to have a home court advantage, it's going to be tough for anybody to go in there and and win. And and they sh- they're showing they deserve to be you know that team that's favored to make it to Orlando. And at this point, yeah, I mean, it, it was good to hear that it wasn't anything you know serious, if you will, with Trent Bride when we all turned up and said, "Whoa, where you know Paul selling doubles? What's going on?" But uh, yeah, they. They handled it well, and, and they cruised through the weekend pretty pretty easily. We knew what Croyder was capable of, but for Miguel Perez-Pena, the sophomore, 19-6, and six, tied for the team lead in victories, he's been the reason he makes it a full team. By the way, Ethan Quinn, he's won his last nine decisions, 7-0 in his last 10 matches overall, 7-0-3, I should say. You're right. Like you keep. It's almost like they're the Sabalenka of this 2023 season, and that you're like, okay, but there's going to be a letdown, right? 
and there just isn't. And yeah, like, you keep waiting for it. They're the team you think it's coming from, and it doesn't come. And I'll tell you what, it's like three seasons for Ethan Quinn, right? It's yeah. the fall, then it's the start to the spring. No, then it's indoors. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. slash the start to the spring. And then it's outdoors slash the end of the spring. And yeah. and yeah, if if you're back to, hey, we got the guy that you can't beat, man, they're going to be really tough. I agree. And the, to finish the analogy, you waited for the letdown. It didn't come. So like at a certain point, four months, you have to say, oh, no, this team is just straight up good. And that's the takeaway. This team is straight up good. Good. Very fun to watch. Excited for their matchup. I think it's a fun one with Harvard. And obviously, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. Let's move to number seven. Wolverines, University of Michigan, get the win they need. Four over Toledo, but then perhaps more impressively, four over Cal. And look, shout out to Cal. It's a good 4-1 win over LSU in round one. Coach Quinta has that Cal team headed in a fun direction. If you're Michigan, you win doubles without Fenty and Young. Both matches this weekend. Bickersteth gets two wins at six. Gavin started playing better tennis at five. You know, I I know some people at the match, some sources informed me. They go, yeah, you know, Michigan was up 3-0 and Styler was up a set non-serve, 4-3 or 5. I think it was 4-3. And someone goes, yeah, he saw point three go up on the board. And you could see he's like, all right, I'll finish my match now. And it went break, hold, and like just the sort of thing you do when you're the guy. And... Look, I mean, again, I think you could say this about a lot of these teams. I do think Michigan is one where it shouts more, most brightly. I don't think they've played their best match of the season yet. They're getting closer, Chris. What do you think of the weekend? Well, they definitely, I mean, if if they want to win a national championship, they absolutely have not played their best match of the season yet. Uh, that, you know, they have to continue to, to progress here. Uh, super impressive weekend, obviously, for them. Uh, I think... To me, the the key guy is still going to be Andrew Fenty. Uh, I mean, it's it's kind of like which you know you know he's got the he's got the talent. And I was going to make this analogy with uh, with Kentucky because I see the same thing there with Alafiani. Both of those guys, you know, when when they a decide they're going to play and b they're actually you know they're on. They can play with anybody, and I mean anybody. And then all of a sudden you see days where they just don't show up. And I think that's the that's the key for me is you gotta get you gotta get those guys, both of them. They have to show up, they have to be in their matches. And yeah, if Fenty, if Fenty is on, especially now where they've got them, and if you've got Maloney healthy and serving well, yeah, we know what Styler's gonna do. And and yes, to your point. Aaron Schneider getting, you know, he's just going to get better with each match. He hasn't, you know, this is almost like early spring for him, right? He's just come back and started playing again. So, you know, court time, match time is is important. They, these guys are, I think they're going to be there. We they're, they're just getting there later than we thought. And that, and that's your hope is that that progression is just, it's still going and it's not just sort of up and down, but it's, yeah, we're getting better every match still. Let the record show. It's not my hope. You're being the plural Michigan fans hopes there out of Chris. Don't, I'm not going to let him throw that bias my way. Um, let's move on to number eight, Tennessee. Uh, I, they, you could argue were the most impressive team 
of the opening weekend to beat Wake Forest 4-0 in the fashion they did in that regional final. Wake Forest, of course, an impressive 4-1 win over Memphis in the first round. But, you know, you look for Tennessee, they take the doubles point in dominant fashion. They were up breaks on all three courts. Monday, 1-1 one one over Astathio. That's a joke. You know, Bicknell, he was down, I think, 3-1 in three that one. match. <laughs> Wins <laughs> 10 straight games to get through in straight sets. And then look, credit to Wake Forest. They didn't just roll over. You know, Wake Forest, after dropping five first sets, they made a little bit of a comeback. But still, for Tennessee to take doubles, five first sets against this Wake Forest group, to get the closeout from HUD, who's been on the wrong end of way too many three-setters this year, it's a big weekend for the Vols. They're looking good. They are. I still, uh, yeah, I mean, I still think it, the, the problem is it's so many of these teams you go, hey, what are you going to get at five and six? I think that's still a question here, but definitely nice, nice weekend for, for Bicknell. Uh, you know, Monday, like you said, is that's, but I don't know what, I mean, I don't care if it was one and one or five and six. It's, you know, you just expect him to win regardless. He was just, but when you beat Mel, Melios one and one, that's freaking impressive. Uh, yeah, that Tennessee is, we've, we said it, they're, they're coming on. They're going to get one more match at home here against a foe they know very well. And, you know, and we'll see, but that's, they look really good right now. Number nine, South Carolina also looked good. 4-1 win over Florida State after, look, it was a sloppy performance for South Carolina. They got pushed against South Carolina State in that opening round match. Florida State, doubles point was shaky. They were really dominant in singles over Baylor. And so, again, coming into the day, you felt like maybe Florida State's going to give a struggling South Carolina team a real run. In the end, they did not. South Car- I mean, they did. But South Carolina able to hold on. South Carolina taking the doubles point. Samuel does his thing at the top spot. And then I should say outside of that, there were battles everywhere. This match was 4-1 in name only. In the end, Thompson, uh, Hool, three set wins at two and five respectively. You could see how much it meant to Thompson when he did clinch. Thoughts on the Gamecocks after this opening weekend? Yeah, I mean, they de- they got pushed. We expected them to get pushed. We didn't expect them to get pushed like they did at the start of the match against South Carolina State. But, but yeah, that was that was a tough one that I think, you know, it, if you that's one of those, if you say, hey, we're going to play it 10 times, it's probably like a 6-4 type deal, if not 5-5. Five, five. Uh, and it might be just, hey, home team wins uh, every time. But, uh, you know, again, they did what they needed to do I still, I still have questions about the bottom of the lineup. Um, you know, Samuel's fine, even though ACC is, is, you know, hurt and not, you know, not able to do a whole lot. Samuel's going to be fine regardless. Thompson's going to be fine regardless. The questions come from three days, not just five and six with them. It's story Lambling five and six. So, yeah. so we'll see. That's going to be an interesting uh, matchup at Knoxville, I think. Yeah. And again, we're going to talk about those in a minute. We're going to go even faster through these final ones, folks. I apologize if we're going to skip through your team here. But again, we really want to talk about those super regionals. So we'll get them on the back end. Number 10, USC Trojans push a little bit, no doubt by San Diego, but playing better doubles, still finding their form. Another team you're like, have you played your best match yet? I don't think so. Thoughts on the Trojans 4-0 over Idaho, 4-1 over San Diego. Yeah, still really worried about the doubles and big picture wise, that's that's the concern for me is doubles. Steph and Lerner are going to be fine, even though they both dropped first sets, yeah. uh, you know, in that 
in that match and stuff, I think drops the match. But I mean, that big picture, I don't have concerns over them. It's the doubles. I think their entire singles lineup is just fine. I'll take, I'll, I will go to war and battle three all against anybody with that singles lineup. The question is, do I get the other point in doubles if all I do is go three all and I'm not there yet with them? So that's the concern. Yeah. And that doubles point again for both Michigan and USC this weekend. We'll talk about how big that one is because you might feel like that one's for all the marbles. Number 11, Harvard, first Sweet 16 since 2004 for the Crimson. Now, you know, they were the beneficiary, I suppose, of a little bit of an upset. Arizona State 4-3 over Illinois was by far one of the best first-round matches we saw all weekend. We were fortunate enough to broadcast it. Man, credit to Harvard. After taking the doubles point, they dropped the first set at the first three single spot, uh, top three single spots, excuse me, against Arizona State. They also, it was like four all or five all on courts four and five, but in the end, 4-0 victory for Harvard. All of their top three guys win their second sets. They get three straight set wins at four, five, six. Chris, that's not just Ivy League good. That's top 16 good. When you win doubles, you win three straight set matches, you split in the places you lost. Like, that's a hell of a weekend for Harvard. Yeah, they very impressive. I think they 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 came out on top in the Ivy League. I think they were the best team this year in the Ivy League. And and they are not just, oh, they're good for an Ivy League team. They're just good. And they will go down and battle, uh, battle Georgia at, at Georgia. And they can compete at they're gonna compete at all six positions with, with you. You know, it's not like, oh, they've got, you know, three or four good guys at the top. They're fine all the way through the lineup. So that that's going to make for an interesting match. But yeah, you're right. They, they, after they dropped those first three set, the three sets at the top of the lineup, the first three, they were on serve or even, you know, trailing, but maybe on serve with scoreboard pressure at at four and five. And it, it was not clear that they were going to be able to even get those other three first sets. It looked for a while. They're like, man, they're going to lose four first sets and be behind the eight ball. And yeah, they just turned it on. Start of the second set, it was, they just rolled. Yeah. No, it's, uh, it, it's, it was, imp- it's again, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like this group is good. And so it's going to be fun to watch them compete and be in that Athens environment. And, you know, again, 80 degree heat is not something you get in Cambridge, Massachusetts. So the hotter to the day, uh, certainly it will be fascinating to see how these crimson respond. But yeah, I mean, listen to Nicholas Gruskin, who will do 30 minutes on Harris Walker unprompted. That guy's legit number one and watching him versus Quinn. It's going to be a really fun match. Number 12, Duke, first Sweet 16 since 2015 for the Blue Devils. Now, they messed around a little bit this weekend, 4-2 win over UNCW. Uh, You also had Cornell, 4-3 upset victory. Took like six hours to knock off Auburn, but they do it. In the end, Duke then 4-1 over Cornell. Duke could have closed things out. They weren't able to do it. A couple three sets ultimately end up unfolding. But look, Rodinus is still Rodinus. This team's getting really good at doubles points and you know, when you're up 2-0, you got to find two more through the other five. They're really good at doing that. Like, where are you with this Duke team? You think they got a shot? Oh, well, I guess I'll ask you that in a second. But what do you think of their weekend? I mean, they won. We expected them to win. But, boy, it didn't. It wasn't pretty. That's for sure. I mean, you know, there's a lot of schools we could say that about. But, but yeah, I think, you know, I mean, just the fact that they went 4-2 in the first round uh, with UNCW and then, 
And then all of these three set matches uh, in in the in the Sunday or I don't know if it was Saturday or Sunday, but uh, lost track of time. We were on uh, on broadcasting so much, but but yeah, the you know the match against Cornell, they had so many three set matches that I mean I I I think they got pushed a little more in both matches than I thought they would. In the end, I don't think it's changing my outlook on anything, as you said. I still think Virginia rolls through there. But uh, so, so the fact that they got pushed doesn't hurt anything. But yeah, it wasn't it wasn't the best, the best weekend for them, but they won. And that's what matters. Absolutely. Well, again, for the sake of brevity, we can move on. I'll disagree with you when we get into our super regional assessments, I suppose. Uh, not that I really disagree with yours. I think that's fair. They were good. Good, not great. But guess what? Good teams. They find yeah. good, and they find, find ways to win, and it's proof that Duke is good. Well, we already talked about the Columbia upset, so now we go to number 14, Arizona. They're also sort of a beneficiary of a first-round upset. Credit to Oklahoma State, man. That's a great 4-2 win, and that has something to do with the fact that when you're playing for your, your tournament life for like two months consecutively, as the Cowboys really were – they're, they just have that edge. It's the same way the teams that have to fight their way into the postseason in baseball and basketball and hockey and football. They just have that little extra edge to them going into the postseason. Credit to this Oklahoma State team. That's a really good win. But then, look, man, that's a great weekend for Arizona. 4-0 over Boise State in the Shields Bowl. 4-0 over Oklahoma State. They weren't really tested either. This might have been the like again, considering it was the national spotlight. You win this, you get to host the kickoff weekend. Arizona kind of needed this to really get themselves back into that elite program mix, and credit to them, they got it. Yeah, a great weekend for Arizona. There's no doubt they had to be one of one of the winners from the weekend in terms of you know they just they had to they took something from this. They're going to take some momentum out of here, I think, uh, and, and have to feel really good about, about the way they played. Um, yeah, I mean, it was, I, it would have been a lot more fun had the, uh, the shields bowl ended up with a little tighter match, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, Oklahoma state, I think, as you mentioned, that's, you know, the win that they had to get in the, in the big 12 tournament, just to be able to get into the NCAA tournament. And then the win over Florida, I mean, two huge, huge wins for them. That's a, that, that's a great way to start for, for DT and his, you know, getting into the NCAAs at Oklahoma state uh, era. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, they were just, they're just outmanned here against Arizona. I mean, there's no, I, there's no way, no other way to put it. It was going to be a tough, that was going to be a tough battle for them, no matter what, Great job getting there, but Arizona did they were they were very impressive. Zevert's 15 and 5, Smith 17 and 6, Strom 19 and 2, Hoyerall 14 and 6, Friend 15 and 6. They got guys. And again, we'll talk about why their matchup with Ohio State might be particularly exciting this weekend. Last two here. Bulldogs, Mississippi State. I know you've heard of them, Chris. They get a really impressive victory, 4-2 over Middle Tennessee State to advance to the Super Regional. Thoughts on how uh, how the Bulldogs performed this past weekend? Yeah, so so first we're gonna we're gonna do a little time travel here, back to the beginning of the season when we. Okay, got- just remember we're on the clock, so time travel right. fast. This is this is a quick time travel, but I tried to warn you, and you <laughs> stopped. <laughs> 
You scoffed at Here me. Here we Gruskin. go. I should have seen this coming. Is this the surprise? You skid is. You scoffed at me. So I received a lovely, lovely text this week. I'm going to play it for you. This is every Monday morning, literally the entire year, every Monday morning. And it's only about a 15 second clip. Oh, no. This is what Jake Jacoby wakes up to and listens to. Here we go. You're making your. Oh, I just cut you off live TV. This uh, is good. This is half the fun. Leave all this into the podcast. Yeah, here you go. You're you're making your way. So you've made your way through your list. So I'm going to I'm going to give you. And of course, it's a self-served uh, as as you would expect. A sleeper to watch. Watch out for my Mississippi State Bulldogs. This oh, I mean, sure, you could. Ah. There we go. As long as I, I like that. That's uh, that's that, that was the whole clip. But that was every Monday. Jake listened to that for his motivation. And I got the thanks for, for you know, for for backing them. But uh, yeah, look, they, uh, you know, they they had a great season. They're not done yet, obviously. Uh, and it, it was a, a good year for them. They had they had faced both Middle Tennessee and Tulane during the year. They had beaten them in tough matches. They got a dogfight. I mean, that was an absolute dogfight against Middle Tennessee outdoors. And that was Middle Tennessee without Polstrom, uh, you know, who who didn't travel with them this weekend after declaring that he was going into the portal. Uh, a big both doubles and singles loss for them. And those guys were, I mean, they, they put up a fight. Mississippi State, again, they did what they had to do. They they put it down and they've played at TCU before. They they gave TCU a battle there. I expect, look, that's going to be, a, obviously, that's a very tough ask. I expect another war out of them down in Fort Worth. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it was a really fun match like, to have the, the wave of three sets, to have the crowd. And I know talking about Roberts, it was a near record crowd uh, in the stadium. It was really good. Credit to this Middle Tennessee team, man. This was a hell of a two-year run. Like, this team has legit been top 20 good now for a couple of years consecutively. And they absolutely could have beaten some of these top 16 seeds with the performance they put together. Well, and you you talk about that, that freshman class that they had this year. Look, they only lose Ram and Ewan Lumsden this year. And, and they get that freshman class back. And look, I'm telling you, there's going to be more this coming year. So that's going to be a team that's going to, you know, that's going to be getting better for the next couple of years. Well, next year is the year, the final year of the super teams. And it's just going to be fascinating to see how all of these teams are in that final year, then what they do the next season to react to all the losses across the country. Cause a lot, there'll be a mass exodus of players. It's a hell of a win for Mississippi state. And again, they advanced to another sweet 16 under coach Matt Roberts and, you know, with that said, last but certainly not least, everyone pulls an acorn, a blind squirrel gets the acorn, Chris. I suppose that's your Mississippi State prediction from early in the year. What prediction, just to, I'm sure if you looked, I, I would venture to say this is probably the host team most picked to be upset in the college tennis ranks bracket challenge. UNC, they dropped the doubles point to Old Dominion. It was weird after that. But man, credit to UNC who comes out firing in doubles. And then, you know, there's this moment at the end of the match, they have three breakers happening simultaneously. A guy who's done the most winning on the team of anyone, Carl Poling loses his second set breaker after being up a set and a break for the majority of the match. 
You know, so all of a sudden Utah's lingering. Well, nope. Benjamin Kate straight set victory with his tiebreak win at five. They get uh, another really good straight set victory from Segerman at the number two spot. He seems to be healthy playing his best tennis again. And then look, whether it was Zap, who was in a winning position at six, or Cernok, who comes up with a couple of brilliant passing shots to clinch the match in straight sets. I'm telling you. I think UNC TCU is going to be frisky, Chris. Excuse me, UNC Texas. I think this UNC team, I still like, they're another team, a prime example of they haven't played their best match yet, and I just don't know what that ceiling is. Yeah, they they haven't. I love how both on the broadcast and now you still flip Old Dominion and Drake. Uh, uh, did I do that twice? <laughs> you, you did hilarious. Yeah, they played Drake, not Old Dominion. But yeah, and it's, it was too, this was the too much blue region. Um, <laughs> yeah, just the, the Ohio state, too much red region, North Carolina, too much blue region. Yeah. They, uh, I'm with you. And I think, I think you're right in your assessment that it could get frisky. And only because I would say when we were talking about Georgia saying, Hey, they're the kind of, they're the team that we just say, keep saying, yeah, when's it going to happen? When's it going to happen? I was going to say they were kind of like, the poor man's Texas, because I feel the same way about Texas, although just better than Georgia, but sort of like, yeah, I think with their history of playing four or three matches with these guys over the past couple of years and what's happened, I expect somebody to really push them. And I wouldn't be totally surprised if it, if North Carolina did. Yeah, no, it's, it's going to be fun to watch. And again, a disappointment certainly for Utah, just given the momentum they had going into this uh, match to to not get a single singles victory on the board, you know, again, but UNC got wins at one and two, that would have been the last script. Any of us wouldn't would have written for them to win this match without Jansen and polling who have been their rocks at three and four all year long. Tar heels are hitting their stride. And with that theme in mind, we can finally get to previewing this weekend's super regional action. Again, eight fantastic matches, many of which we will have featured for you on our Crack Rackets broadcast on Friday and Saturday. Chris, I'm going to go by order of intrigue in my head. It's the same question for you. I'm going to ask for each. You're going to give your thoughts. I'll respond. You get the final word. We're going to be efficient in our word choices here again. Let's start. Uh, what's my most intriguing? Well, I'll be self-indulgent. It's just if I if we picked anything else, we'd be lying. It, number seven, Michigan. Number 10, USC. It's a rematch of the regular season. Wolverines knocked off the Trojans in Ann Arbor earlier this year. Now, obviously, much more likely this match is played outdoors than that one was. It's also worth noting back then. You know, USC didn't have this guy. I don't know if you've heard of him by the name of freshman learner Tien, who obviously Kalamazoo champion now in their lineup. It's a whole different Trojan ball game. Trojans, you look overall this season, 21 and 7. Wolverines, 25 and 4. Chris, thoughts on the matchup? Keys to it? Who you picking? Well, I mean, I think we're going to start with doubles. And I think you have to favor Michigan here. Just USC still hasn't come around in doubles yet. I also think it's a must win point for Michigan at doubles. I, I, I see a probably a clearer path in, in my head, even though it's an away match, a, a better possibility for, for USC in singles. I don't think Michigan's taking 
four singles matches off of USC. So well, obviously they can, and it's going to be a bunch of three setters in my, is my guess, but I really think they need to win that, win that doubles point. I think USC is probably more capable and they're more used to having to do that this year uh, without the doubles point. Man, in, I would also say if I was a Michigan fan, I would have much preferred to see the Fenty TN matchup than Maloney TN and Fenty Mac. I think that to me, that almost makes me want to swing this in USC's favor just because I think TN is going to, I mean, he's going to be a tough out. If Maloney's fully healthy, by all means, that's a toss up match. If Maloney has any issues with the serve, TN's going to make him pay. Uh, and and that Fenty Mac matchup, whew, uh, the the top three is going to be a boy. It would be, it would be boy. Would I pay to have cameras on those courts, Gruskin? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but alas, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, there's so many question marks. I'm, I have to stick in my own head. I got to stick with where I what I picked from the beginning, and that is Michigan. As hard no! as that's going to be to say. I'm going to take the Wolverines to to prevail at home. The only Friday match, by the way, on the men's side. Um, but this could this could go anywhere. I think if they lose the doubles point, they're probably done. But I think they take the doubles point, and then they're just going to scrap and find singles. I think Styler will get it done over Steph, uh, and then I think they're. I I think they may be in a little trouble at both two and three, but then between four, five, and six. I, I think they come back and, and find two more of those. Well, those are the fascinating matchups. Nino versus Woj, uh, Wojtek, uh, Fry versus Young, and then if it's Wastrande versus... Yeah, Ga- Ga- this is a spot for Gavin. He hasn't been great lately. He's got to turn it around and beat Fry. Well, both teams on paper, the top threes are just jokes. You know, yeah. Styler's 20 and 1. Yeah, I mean, that's... You, 14 and 2. Yeah, Fenty. They're, they're toss dart pickums up there. Exactly. It, it's going to be really good tennis. I think four three is the number. I agree. Doubles point feels like the most significant. This it's a crime that this match isn't on uh on a camera. I guess do the rain dance at home, folks, because if it's indoors, it moves into cameras and then we all get to see it. Uh, they're playing in singles and doubles. So my solution in lieu of having them even play that double set at three, just have Styler and Dostinich play three out of five and make it worth one and a half points. And like, that's your swing match. Cause like, that's what everyone's showing up to see. It's going to be a really fun battle in Ann Arbor. You say Wolverines four, three, Chris. I, yeah, that that's where I'll go. But here's the better question. I, okay. it's a Friday match. Let's say it rains. Do they go indoors or do they play it Saturday? They go indoors. I think they're playing that match on Friday, no matter what. Uh, it's, okay. it's pretty locked in for, from the, vibes uh i have received okay all right with all that said god who's the second most interesting if you can make a really good claim for a bunch of different things i I like the kentucky stanford match all right then that's where we'll go next number four kentucky hosting unseated stanford you look for these two teams kentucky against 16 and four overall in the year stanford (laughs) 16 and 10 that just doesn't feel right coming out of my mouth ridiculous Uh, again Keys to the match, Chris. What are you looking for? Which way are you leaning? I mean, as much as I want to say that you know it should that you want to you want to win it on on your side, I have I think if that I'm looking to see how do the guys 
for Stanford look that are sort of, that seem to be out of position, if you will. And that is, you know, they're three and four in Basavaretti and basing. If those guys look good and man, a Basavaretti Lapidot match. Wow. Even if Basavaretti looks good, that's not an easy, that's going to be a tough match. Uh, you know, basing at four with, with Taha body. Uh, what a, these are going to be great matches all the way around. I, I can't in my own, I can't take Stanford just because I still, yes, they finally got all four in the lineup. I don't think they looked great last week and they could very well do it. Uh, because look, I don't think Kentucky looked great last weekend. They, they both teams found a way to win. Neither team was, you know, came out and rolled the other guys. Kentucky's at home. They're going to have a, a, a crowd there. I'll, I'll say Kentucky, neither team particularly strong in doubles. Great match, Ferry and Drax. I would love to see the Ferry-Draxel match and see if Draxel can really work his way into Ferry's head. Ferry's a pretty, I mean, I don't see that kind of stuff get to him much. I don't know that he plays a lot of guys like Draxel in singles. I mean, I, I can't picture anybody out there. You know, Steph's not you know, going through a lot of antics, uh, you know, et cetera. So I think it'll be a, a different ball game for him. I'm going to take the Wildcats. Not going to be surprised at all if Stanford shows up and wins. Strength on strength. Again, both these teams really good top four. Got to attack them at five and six. Kentucky's just better at those two positions. Like you have to beat Kosne. I don't think any of Kulazinski, I mentioned the records earlier for Kulazinski and Rajesh and uh, Chaudhry. They're not noticeably be, noticeably better than the 11-10 of Kosne, and I think Weeks is the best player in that combination of any of the five, and he's at five for Kentucky. So I just think, again, that's going to be a massive strength for Kentucky this weekend. And then we saw last weekend, good luck beating Draxel at home if you're fairy. Good luck taking two of those th- uh, two through four matches, which you kind of have to do to beat yeah. Kentucky. And so... Yeah, I, I understand the pick. At the same time, we just saw what Stanford did going on the road, beat Columbia. It would be very Stanford-esque for them to earn a victory. So uh, perhaps we'll be on the lookout for it this weekend. All right, let's move on to 8-9. Tennessee, South Carolina, the rematch. Tennessee earning a victory over the Gamecocks earlier in this season. That match was at South Carolina. Didn't matter as Tennessee's able to get that win. Of course, last year, South Carolina reciprocated, earning a victory in Knoxville. So many of the members, you know, Samuel, Thompson, Lambling, Story, all these guys, they've accomplished this before. Go to Knoxville, earn a victory. Obviously, if you're if you're treating these teams as stocks, exact opposite pathways, you know, Tennessee has been a stock on the rise over these past three months, continuing to elevate versus a South Carolina team. You feel like they hit their high point after that victory over Ohio State at the start of March. No secrets between these two teams. Keys to the match. Which way are you leaning, Chris? I mean, this is going to be, we talk about teams that have, eh, neither of the teams particularly good in doubles. Both of these teams really good in doubles. I think that's going to be a great spot. I think South Carolina's got to win the doubles. Uh, Tennessee's going to, I mean, they've got the home court advantage, as you mentioned, they're on the way up. South Carolina, not so much. South Carolina's got to rely on the strength that is their strength, and that's doubles one, two. I have no idea how Toby Samuel beats Johannes Monday, but I think he needs to. 
I think South Carolina needs to take doubles. I think they need Toby Samuel and uh, Connor Thompson. And then, you know, find what if they can get that, I think they can find one of three through six. But I don't think it's going to be an easy path. Like you said, they did it last year. Tennessee's just got everything going their way right now. It's an uphill battle. They certainly you got to make them the favorite. Uh, I don't. I think South Carolina needs those three points I mentioned. I don't think they get them. I just don't see beating Monday uh, in outdoors in Knoxville. Samuel probably much rather see him indoors. Uh, I'll say Tennessee's probably going to take this or two. I mean, you don't have to beat Monday once. You got to beat him twice if you're Samuel. You got to beat him in Harper in doubles. You got to beat him in singles as well. And that's just a really tough proposition, especially on the road. It's not a, you know, they need Thompson. It's a must have for Thompson. He has to beat HUD. You know, they need Story, who's had a better year than Bicknell, but Bicknell's playing better right now after the Story injuries. And so that's another need for South Carolina. Diaz has been so good at five. And Rodriguez has really found his form at six. Like, it's a really, you know, Mitsui, I know he struggled last weekend. Yeah, that's why I just don't see how South Carolina does it without those top three, you know. That said, they're that good. Like, we've seen South Carolina go to Knoxville a year ago, beat Angel Diaz on their way to a 4-3 win. Who are we even going to see at six for South Carolina? That's another question. Is Silva or Beasley? It's a fair to ask. So with that in mind, give me a pick. I'll take Tennessee 4-2. All right, I like to hear it. Well, then with that said, again, all these matches are so good. Who do I think you're going to make an interesting, a most interesting case for next? Let's just get it out of the way. TCU, Mississippi State, a rematch, 2019 Super Regional. TCU went to Starkville, knocked off the uh, the Bulldogs. Can Mississippi State return the favor, Chris? What do you think about this matchup? Which way you lean in? I still see the Famba backhand down the line. Ah, golly. Unbelievable. Uh, I mean, that, that that's a really tough ask. Look, T, TCU is, uh, I mean, no Fomba last week. Interesting to see, you know, if I don't know, you know, was that a, a health thing? What's going on? Um, just a, a really tough match for Mississippi State. They will, they will fight them. They will, you know, they'll make it a dog fight. I just don't see them getting out. Uh, on top of TCU and Fort Worth too, just too much on the, on the TCU side. I mean, that team is stacked. It's going to be very hard. I look, they maybe if Famba's out in doubles, we make that, you know, it gets to be an interesting doubles point. Uh, And I'm not, I'm not sure where you even, even if you do, I don't know where you find three singles against them. It's got, obviously you got to get, you got to get six, whoever that is at six for TCU, right? I, I mean, whether it's Vives, whether whether it's Maxted, uh, you know, whether it's Jirasek, you got to get that. I, I don't see it happening. TCU, 4-1. Gorsny, Jong have lost like two combined matches. Fernley's yeah. been the real deal at one, a top 10 player all season long. And then, you know, the craziest part is their best points doubles where it's like, yeah, we don't need to play Pennington Jones. Captain Jack, you're on the bench for this one because Maxton and Jong are that good. Um, yeah, I, I, I get the pick. Yeah, these top three are just, yeah, actually two of Texas, you even feel like, yeah, maybe you take a run at. But but TCU, Ohio State are just so dominant. 
Yeah, I want to see TCU flex their muscles, and I, I just I don't think we've seen you know they did it in the Big 12 conference tournament. I want to see them do it at this super regional as well. You mentioned Texas; we'll just straight up go there next. Number one, Texas. Number 16, North Carolina. Two teams that have obviously had so much success over the past half decade plus. Look, Spiz is 20 and one. You know, you look at a guy uh, across the board: Armilly, 10 and three; Harper's 14 and six. You know, Waldeep's had a really good bounce back season, 16 and seven. That said, the the numbers for this team actually aren't outstanding given their 24 and three record. They take some losses across the board. They just always seem to find their way to four. That's been the case for them for multiple years now. But I'll tell you what, again, Segerman, 15 and six this year. Jansen, 15 and five this year. Polling, 18 and three this year. Cernok's finally healthier and a lefty against Spiz is just an interesting matchup. Again, Kate's playing better. Zap seems to be finally healthy and it's North freaking Carolina. If you're going to call a trip Phillips coach team bad at doubles, you just don't know ball. I think this match is going to be fun. Chris, give me the case who uh, give me which way you're leaning and who you think is going to take it. I mean, you you have to lean Texas. They're a heavy favorite, right? But I your your argument is valid. North Carolina could make this interesting. They definitely have the skills in doubles to compete and could very easily take that doubles point if they do. Look, I made a living. I I feel I feel like I've I've probably got four or five you know cases where I've picked against Cernok and he's been able to like very kind, be kind to me with, you know, and not blast me on, uh, on Twitter, but, uh, under no circumstance, am I taking Cernok to beat Spiz? (laughs) But so I'm not saying that can't happen, but I'm not going to take that. Not in Austin. Yeah. But I do think that you can make the case going down the lineup after that for, for Segerman Jansen and polling to all be like, you know, legitimate chances to win their match. And if, and if that's the case and they can sneak doubles, look, you've already got a possibility there. And that's without talking about Kate or Zap. And look, Aramilli has been good for Texas. He could be beaten if Zap is, if Zap is healthy. Kate looked great last weekend. Uh, and that would be to me, that would be a really intriguing match. Uh, for him with Harper, I would like, I'd like to see that I'm, you know, for a one sixteen matchup, this is in my mind, eons closer of a match than the two fifteen and three fourteen matches. Uh, and we haven't gotten to the three fourteen yet, but I do think that, yeah, there's, there's possibilities here. Now, look, Texas could just come out and wipe them four Oh, I don't know. That's just not the way they usually roll. Uh, I th- I think Carolina can could actually give them a push, and I don't think Carolina is going to go down 4-0. Ultimately, in Austin, I think Texas will prevail, and I think it'll be a 4-2 match. I think it's going to be really good as well. A lot, again, polling Segerman Cernok last time on the job. They got to have doubles because there's got to be some belief there going into yeah. the singles. And, you know, again, I agree with you. I think this match is really close. I'm very excited that we're going to have it on our broadcast for all of you to enjoy Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern time. You said 314. We'll go there next. No team is maybe better suited to compete in Columbus 100%. than these Arizona Wildcats who have that edge, who have that feistiness. 
23 and 6 overall as Arizona. I talked about the gaudy singles numbers. They're 105 and 36 in individual singles matches this season. That's ridiculous. That's over a 70% win percentage. Chris, the Buckeyes are 124 and 16. And again, Trotter, 26 and 0. Tracy, 17 and 2. What a disappointment he is relative to the 17 and 1 Cash or the 14 and 2 freshman Anthrop, the 15 and 2 Bernard. That was a joke, by the way. Tracy's been awesome as he always, I think he's lost like five dual matches in his career. You know who has the most losses on the team in dual match play? Justin Boulay, who's 13 and 5 playing the 1 and 2 spots. They're 59 and 15 in doubles. You know, I think we might see Tim Siebert in doubles this weekend. I'm not going to lie. But short of us seeing that, like this team is that good. Chris Hallers. By the way, I hope you all caught that Siebert joke. Five yeah, minutes later, I, we're still it's, rolling. It's Siebert and Tubert lining up together, I think. Yeah, no, um, exactly. No, it's Siebert <laughs> and Luchonic. Um, yeah. But no, I mean, again, we talked about how good this team is. I'll tell you what, though. Arizona's got some chippiness. If it's outdoors, obviously Arizona's playing a ton more outdoor tennis. You never pick against Ohio State and Columbus. You're a fool if you do. But I think this match is sneaky fun. Yeah, it's going to be like sneaky fun for about an hour and 45 minutes. Um, Which is a win against this Buckeyes team because it's hard to get to triple digits. Yeah, I, I mean, if this match goes indoors for any reason, forget it. It's done. Like, we're not. there's no need to even play. Um, but, but, yeah, it's – you're you are correct Arizona is the kind of team that they've got that attitude they've got the swagger they 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 will enjoy that Columbus crowd uh and everything that comes with it and and take it it you know in vain and and play it the way they need to I just I don't Ohio State's just too good I mean I, I don't know how to get I can't get around it they're they're too good I don't think I don't see Arizona being able to uh to make that much of a push against them. Like uh, for every reason you mentioned, I mean, they just don't lose singles matches. I don't know. I don't know how you're going to win three singles matches and you're probably not going to win doubles. So you're probably going to need four. Here's the thing. If Arizona gives them a tight match, I'll entertain the, Oh, outdoor Buckeyes. We need to have some questions going into Orlando. If Ohio state does what they do to so many teams and they do it outdoors to this really resilient, very successful Arizona program, I'm not entertaining that uh, argument for the rest of this year, because then like, again, I've seen it too many times when this Buckeye team beats you, they beat you. That said, again, I'm not quitting on this Arizona team. I think it's going to be a really fun match. One we're excited to have, of course, on our crack Rackets broadcast noon Eastern time on Saturday, last two. Let's go to the University of Georgia next. Six-seeded Bulldogs taking on the 11th-seeded Crimson. 15-year anniversary, Chris, where an undefeated University of Virginia team shocked 4-3 by Georgia in the NCAA semifinals. Who clinches that match? Assistant coach or associate head coach Jamie Hunt over now Harvard assistant Sunam Singh. It's crazy that that's 15 years later. I could still make a case for the 08 Virginia team being as good as any team in college tennis history, despite the fact they didn't win the title. Just go look at what all of those guys did in the pros. That's irrelevant to this match, which of course features a bunch of different guys, whether it's, you know, again, Croyder 19 and seven Henning 17 and five. I talked about MPP and Quinn earlier this year. It does feel like they're starting to hit their stride in doubles as well. Look, they're taking on a Harvard team. 
Vonder Schulenberg and Walker can hang with anyone. But the real key for this team, we said it last weekend, Son and, you know, Ronan Jachuk and, you know, uh, Pape and Milovsky. It's real depth. This is a real match. This is a battle, Chris. You said it's going to be fun. Which way you lean and what do you think? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the, the battles to watch in this match, honestly, I think are the ones down low because if, if, Harvard really does, you know, if they're going to compete, I think they're going to have to find a way to beat Pena. They're going to have to find a, you know, find a way to compete at, at four and five. Quinn's role. And I know, you know, Nicholas Gruskin loves Harris Walker. Boy, that's going to be, that's, that's going to be a tough one. I mean, Quinn's back. We're outdoors. It's the end of the season. He's in great shape. You got, I mean, you know, there's going to be, I don't know if they'll get the 3000 they want to get. They're going, it's going to be a triple figure crowd. Uh, they, they will be loud. It's a, you know, it's the Georgia atmosphere. You have to be leaning Georgia, but look, I still, I still have concerns. I'm still waiting for that. Someone to jump up and, and, and beat them. Uh, hopefully, you know, bride's all good at that top, that top three though, man, I don't, it's, that's a very tough top three to take down. You got Quinn, you got Henning, you got bride and if bride's play. I mean, if he is playing well at home last match, I mean, yeah, you gotta, you gotta take Georgia, but I, this is not this. I know for most people, Harvard's not the household name in college tennis. You're going to want to sleep on them. Don't sleep on Harvard. These guys are good. They could very easily come in here and upset Georgia. Well, then one more time quickly here, just numbers, match calculus for Harvard. If they upset it, what's it look like? I mean, I think Georgia's beatable in doubles. So you you got to go in there and take the doubles point. As good as Harris Walker's been, I'm not counting on them taking taking that match at one. Um I think you got to take. You have to take advantage of Trent Bride at three. So I think that's that's a spot you got to get. You got to beat Pena, and then you know roll the dice. I'm I'm going to chalk Quinn up. So forget that one. Roll the dice against the other. You know the other three points there and sure. find one. All right, there it is. That's our SEC correspondent Chris Hallioris. And so with that said, to get to our final match. One could argue we saved the best for last, given their spot as the defending NCAA champion, something we can say about them not for that much longer. But Virginia's won 18 in a row. Two of those wins come over Duke. Uh, they beat them 7-0, I think, in the regular season, 4-1 in the conference tournament. Look, Rodinus is 17-0 at the two spot, 26-2 on the year. He's won his last 12 decisions uh, consecutively. You know, again... Zhang's rounded into form 13 and eight playing better. John's is 14 and 10. I've never seen Andrew Dale make an unforced error. He's 15 and two at the number five spot here this year. And look, there were a lot of three third set matches in that four, one ACC tournament. win. we say all the time, how hard it is to beat a team three times in one year, you know, that said, of course, Rodesh has won his last 10. Vonder Schulenberg's 23 and four gets is 21 and three. They're getting better in doubles. Kiefer 13 and uh, excuse me, Kiefer 16 and four. And all the numbers are nice for a team. That's one 18 in a row. Duke got any shot in this one, Chris, or you think it's going to be the same script? I think it's going to be the same script there. 
there's, you know, a very, very, very faint path for Duke. What uh, is it? I mean, I, well, I, you're, you're top three, right? I mean, John's, which I don't know how you beat the top three of Virginia. The problem is they're just undermanned at four, five, and six. I mean, okay, Dale, maybe, but, but, but Connor Cruz not, not beating Ryan Getz, whoever they roll out at six could maybe, you know, I, I think could beat uh, them at six possibly. But look, the strength of this of this Duke team, Garrett Johns, Pedro Rodinas, Andrew Zhang. I mean, I think those guys are going to have to do it. So that's the path is all three at a minimum, two of the three plus doubles and then find one. So it's just that you're, you know, you're facing the gauntlet of, you know, Rodesh, Montez and Vonder Schulenberg in those top three spots. So it's beyond me how you go into Virginia and do that. But that's the recipe. I think, I disagree. I think Dale can win at five. Absolutely. I think, you know, again, six, if Ferris Khan on the right day can absolutely give the freshman Dahlberg a run. And then look, Johnson Zang know exactly what they're getting. They've seen Rodesh. They've seen Vonder Schulenberg all career long for these Blue Devils. There's just no secret between these two. Hell, the coaches were roommates in college for four years. And so, again, I think this match is going to be sneaky fun because there are no secrets between these two. I don't think we're going to get a single 4-0 win throughout the course of the weekend. I think everything's going to get a little frisky, as one would expect, in the Super Regional round. And, of course, we will have coverage again of these Super Regionals Friday, Saturday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. A shout-out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, who makes all of our coverage possible. shout-out to Dalton Thienem and the efforts of each of them behind the scenes. It means it's going to be a really fun month of May for all of us here at Cracked Rackets. And certainly we're excited to shine a spotlight on everything across divisions down the home stretch of this 2023 season. With that said, before we go, shout out as always to Turner. Shout out as always to Alas, the support we get from each of them. Shout out to you, Chris Helioris. Jay mentioned that this might be our penultimate episode of the year because then we start recapping stuff. He's not wrong. Some scholars would argue that's correct. One to go before we know who the 2023 NCAA champion will be. With that in mind, any final thoughts before we wrap today's show? No, I'm, I mean, look, my, my final thoughts are let's get these matches done and let's get to Orlando. Yeah, very well said. Well, with that in mind, then for the fantastic Chris Hallioris, without whom I could not do these shows, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner and LS, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Chris, give it to him. Hey, great shot. And we will see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.